0: Our bodies are curving and collapsing because we sit on our butts way too much. Couches, desks, driving, and all that all that sitting and curving is creating pain, but not just the pain that you think in your backs or your necks or your knees. It's creating pains throughout your body in unrelated places, and it's affecting your mood, your digestion, your entire system's wellness. But well, what if I told you that with a, just a few simple adjustments and moves, You could feel so much better. We're going to talk about foundation training today. I'm Sarah Heiner. This is the Bottom Line Advocator podcast. And when you're done listening to me talk about this stuff, go ahead and rate and review this podcast so that we can spread the word and help a whole lot of other people feel better. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life and I'm thrilled to be talking today to Eric Goodman, doctor of chiropractic and founder and creator of Foundation Training. Dr. Goodman created Foundation Training when confronted with his own back problem that mainstream doctors said would only be cured by surgery. Instead, Goodman realized that much of his pain was caused by the ill effects of gravity and lifestyle, which are compressing our bodies. Foundation Training counteracts those forces with a unique series of exercises focused on strengthening the core. Dr. Goodman has worked with military personnel, big, famous athletes, and everyday people to help them regain the functionality that's slowly been eroded. And he's written it all down in his book, True to Form. You can learn more about Dr. Goodman and Foundation Training, including where to find a trainer that can help you at foundationtraining.com. And his book, True to Form, is available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. So welcome, Eric. It's so great to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for that, that great introduction, too.
0: I have to get all those details in, but you know it's, we're, we're collapsing. The, the amount of time, you and I were just talking before we started um, recording about the number of people that are complaining, running around in chronic pain, frustrated with their lives, and so much of it is just how we're living and, and the, the, the maladies of contemporary life and we need to get them to be aware that there's something they can do other than drugs and surgery
1: absolutely uh absolutely right and And i've spent you know i've spent some pretty significant time now uh more or less daily for the past 10 years i've been really investigating movement as a powerful option for people and not movement in the traditional way but but movement as i discuss it as sort of from the inside out you know really Expanding the rib cage and teaching the torso to just be bigger and, and decompress itself and hold itself taller and wider and with more power, with more assertiveness. And uh, what happens, as you just discussed, is you start to really notice that a lot of people don't take that that into account. They don't accept their ability to be more active in their everyday moments while they're sitting, while they're standing, while they're talking, while they're doing whatever it is they're doing. They tend to rest a little too much.
0: Well, hopefully through the course of this conversation, we're going to explain to them and help them really see the damage they're doing to themselves and that help is not so hard and so far away. All right, so let's start with actually your story a little bit because there you were in chiropractic school and you were kind of your own patient or you weren't your own patient. You were a surgeon's patient because you were having your own back emergency, which is really where foundation training grew out of.
1: That's, yeah, that, that's that's pretty close. And I, well, first we're all our own patients, which is a, a very important lesson to learn. You don't have to be a doctor to be your own patient, but you do have to become increasingly sensitive to your body and what it needs throughout your lifetime. And in my case, I was I was pretty young. I was 26, 27 years old when when my back hit what I would consider its pinnacle of uh, of pain and injury. But that's, the, the term injury can and that nothing injured me. I injured myself over time, so it was just repetitive damage. And at 27 years old, I was three years into chiropractic school, and I was with a osteopath who had just taken some x-rays, and uh, I didn't get the MRI yet, but just some x-rays of my lower back, and he's like, hey, man, it doesn't look too good in there. You have major degeneration at two joints, L4, L5, L5, S1, and it looks like they're it's only going to get worse. you gotta, you got to stabilize that. And he tried to refer me to a surgeon, and I got a second opinion from a chiropractor, uh, a guy named Dr. Hewitt, whose younger brother was actually in school with me, but he had already been in practice for a good handful of years. And he looked at the x-rays and said, yeah, this is pretty bad. Uh, you might want to consider you know, serious surgery, or you have to strengthen it so much that, that, that this doesn't keep happening. But he didn't really know how to do that. So he recommended the surgery as well.
0: Exactly.
1: And at 27 years old, as an active person with a with what would be almost considered an idiopathic uh, injury pattern, meaning we don't know why my back was so degenerated. It was just, for some reason, my young spine reflected that of a much older, much much more beat up person. And man, you can investigate why forever, but what I needed to know is how do I make this better? And I started really exploring movement in myself. I started slowly and steadily exploring where are my weakest points in my body. I so, was a very fit person. I was very strong, and I just kind of used this very stubborn love for anatomy and love for not being in pain to try to find my way out of it.
0: So this was a really interesting this was a really interesting aspect to me because, as you say, you were athletic, you were active. And in your book, you talk about athletes who can still have all these chronic pains of modern life, even though they have six-pack abs or they may have super strong you know, biceps or quads or whatever, but it's not about an isolated set of muscles and it's not about just being an athlete or doing a lot of crunches, but that it's we'll called it 20th century sitting life and compressed life that's really creating all these ailments on us.
1: It's a big piece of the puzzle. So Expression t- in the body is a very big piece of the puzzle and it doesn't always look like what you would expect it to look like. So, There's, uh, some of the fittest people you've ever seen or heard of experience some of the most significant pain and have to continuously do the most to improve upon that pain. And they do. And that's how they remain fit very often. And for those Exercise fit people... not... I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: For those fit people, is it because they're um exercising out of balance or is it because of what they're
1: it it absolutely can be i I say something in a lot of uh in in both in the book and in a lot of discussions that i give in which i compare the body to a to a frame and, and us to sort of an engineer designing that frame and if you saw early on in the building process that that frame was off balance even just a little bit You would never add weight and resistance and and intensity on top of it because in time you know that it would fall. That weight would increase and increase, and that load would eventually create a failure. The body is no different. We tend to add resistance and strength and, and muscle mass on top of core movement patterns that have evolved out of our individual lives, not our species, but our culture's debilitating educational system that has us sitting so often while we're learning about life and the world and history and all these things and math and music, we're still sitting on our butts and we're making our body get itself beat up. Almost like we can't learn and move at the same time, which is nonsense. We actually learn very well while we're moving. So embedded in our culture is rest embedded in our culture is sitting down too frequently especially sitting down as we're receiving information sitting down while we're receiving nutrition at meals sitting down all the time and it's become such a central hub of our world that it's actually become bad for us but i gotta be honest with you sitting's not bad for us the way we do it and how frequently how frequently we do it is what has really become bad for us
0: so let's talk about what happens Let's talk about what happens when we're sitting. You know, in in your book, you talk about posture, which relates to this kind of curled body, and then um, what you call Nefertiti neck, or I'll, I'll call it text neck, right? This this jutted <laughs> chin. Um, but let's talk about posture first, so that you know you talk about the dangers of sitting. But talk about a little bit what that sitting is actually doing to us in terms of t- decompression, decomp- uh, in terms of rolling, you know, shoulders, all that sort of thing.
1: Uh-huh. So picture yourself sitting on a chair first. Picture yourself sitting on a stool. There's no backrest on the stool. Your feet can pretty easily be under you and press into the ground, and imagine sitting yourself up tall. Now, imagine yourself sort of at a desk chair that's a little bit more cushy, or a, or a driver's seat that's more ergonomic, and it gives you a backrest. And allow your back to settle into that backrest a little bit in your mind, conceptually what that does is it draws the front of the ribcage down and in towards the center of the belly, towards the pelvis. Does that make sense as I say that?
0: Yes, we collapse into ourselves. If, the, if something's going to support us, we're going to collapse and let it be
1: held. Absolutely. So what we have in there, though, is this really powerful system of expansion, both between the lungs, which, which pull up and outward with the ribcage, and the abdomen, which is this long, very powerful three-layer cylinder that pulls and wraps from the center of the spine outward around to the front of the body like it's giving itself a bear hug. Those abdom- those, that abdominal spiraling, that inward-upward expansion, I know it's hard to conceptualize, but it's just the way the uh, anatomical functions work. That expansion is ultimately what supports our seated postures and our standing postures and our laying down postures or our runs or our walks or our bike rides and if we continuously sit in a way that doesn't give us that physical feedback instead it tells us that our, our rib cage is meant to come towards and collapse inward into our our abdomen that's a message that we learn very well but it's a very wrong message it's very inaccurate and the more we practice it the better we get at it and the more typical chronic pains from sciatica to piriformis syndrome to SI joint dysfunction to plantar fasciitis and, and inner and outer knee pain to front of the shoulder pain and neck pain to mid-back tightness that just never goes away for whatever reason, even though you've spent $10,000 on chiropractors and massages and PTs over the past five, ten years. Those things have a lot more to do with the way you sit and stand and breathe in particular. Breathing is very powerful and it should be very powerful. It should be very muscular and expansive. And when it becomes that, a lot of symptoms that you thought would never go away tend to diminish quite a bit.
0: So is the pain- And that's the basis of- Is the pain that people are feeling because their muscles are weak and they're not able to support it? Or you talk in the book about some muscles getting shortened and then kind of locking up and the joints having to take the burden of the, of the weight. The latter the was
1: much more accurate. So we are not weak and strong, typically, unless we have a neurodegenerative disorder that changes our electrical flow to muscles and those muscles can't contract very well. We are twisted and long and short. That's a very accurate statement in comparison to weak or strong. Muscles only act as pulleys, and they only have insertion points and attachment points, and all they can do is pull, nothing else. So when those muscles pull, if the point A and point B are rotated or twisted or spiraled away from one another inaccurately, those muscle fibers are out of their elastic potential in which they gather absorptive and and propulsive force, meaning they can't shorten or lengthen accurately so there's a lot of wasted energy that feels like weakness but really it's twisted and turned in the wrong direction and the pull can't pull
0: right and so so if it's too long like again if i'm curled down then all my back muscles are elongated but they're not in a position to be able to to act powerfully because they're elongated and then everything in the front is shortened and my you know my shoulders rolled and all that Um, Uh,
1: it's that's i mean that's a very general generalized statement but yes it's relatively accurate as the back lengthens too much, the front shortens right. too much, and vice versa. I like and to that can be compartmentalized and it can be generalized. It's pretty accurate either way. Right.
0: Now, so talk about the besides the the back aches, the neck aches, and you also talked about that when we sit, our hips rotate. and i'm a, I'm a person who's been struggling with hip tightness for years because even though I'm athletic, I, I, I sit way too much, and I and you talk about the rotation, like when you drive, that your legs rotate externally. That we have this habit of externally rotating our legs, that then creates other weakness in our hips and our glutes, and creating like other aspects of the pain.
1: I really appreciate you doing your research on this, and I can tell that you have.
0: So I'm a research girl.
1: Um, yeah, you you really have. It's, it's nice to hear, uh, and you're accurate. You know. I want people to start thinking of their pelvis as two sides, not one piece. Because your pelvis is two hemispheres that meet in the middle at a little joint that's very important called your pubic symphysis. And that, that pubic symphysis, that central meeting point of the pelvic hemispheres, is your center of gravity. So let's establish center of gravity first. Two things pulling towards center meet at the center of the pelvis. So, what we have is these two scroll like structures at the legs. And I want people to start thinking of them as scrolls that kind of rotate in towards center to close and away from center to open. And that away from center, external rotation, is perfectly fine in normal range of motion. But when we're sitting, you know, frequently, a good 30, 40, 50% of our life, when we're sitting that frequently, that opening of the scroll, that external rotation tends to dominate. And with that comes what's called adaptive shortening of the gluteal muscles, the glute muscles, your butt muscles, your external rotators. They stay short, they learn to live in a shortened position. And one thing muscles hate is to pull from short to shorter. It's very uncomfortable, it stops working after a while and you'll hear terms, especially if you work with a personal trainer, You'll hear terms like glute amnesia. You have glute amnesia, and what that feels like is usually sciatic pain, piriformis syndrome, plantar fasciitis, and dominant quadricep muscles. If you're strong,
0: can I interrupt you for one sec? You mentioned plantar fasciitis, and I want people to understand because you know we think of the shoulder. You know, if you have a pain in your shoulder, it started in your shoulder. Plantar fasciitis is in your feet, and yet we're talking about yes. hips and we're talking about back. So, can you just quickly connect the dots of how that happened?
1: Yes. I want I want to I want everybody that has plantar fasciitis to listen to this statement really clearly. And it comes from a place of having treated countless athletes and older people. And when I say older people, I mean into their 70s that were told and almost forced into surgery, not forced but very strongly leaned towards surgery. And by strengthening the foot, connecting that foot musculature with the upward lift of the groin muscles, the medial hamstring muscles, what's called your medial chain and your posterior chain. By connecting those muscles and strengthening them and reteaching the hip joints how to be very stable so that they guide the knee, the ankle, the foot, the toes in the accurate positions as they flex and extend, you will alleviate the symptoms of plantar fasciitis. But If you keep wearing padded shoes, you keep sitting all the time, and you keep getting foot massages, and you keep going to somebody that is just treating your foot, you will never fix the symptoms of plantar fasciitis because that's how symptoms work. Most chronic pain symptoms that are not the result of a blunt force injury originate much higher up the electrical system towards the spinal cord. And what you feel down the line is the twists and turns being taken out at the weakest tissue. Because those same twists and turns can't be taken out passively at the strong, aggressive, powerful tissue that connects to the base of the pelvis, the adductor muscles, the groin muscles, the medial hamstrings. This chain, what we call the anchoring line in foundation training, this chain is responsible for lifting the arches so they can participate in a strong walk, strong gait pattern. The strongest feet in the world are not strong enough to lift up a human body on their own. The strongest arches in the world are not strong enough to run well on their own or walk well on their own. They are integrated participant muscles that participate with very strong upward lifting on a sling that pulls the arch upward through the deep calf muscles, through the deep groin muscles, and connects into that center of gravity where the two hemispheres of the pelvis meet at the pubic synthesis. And I know it sounds like a lot. I understand that. I'm trying not to use too many of the, the anatomical phrases. <laughs> but the takeaway is that your foot doesn't hurt because your foot. Your foot well, typically hurts. And this goes for the ankle and the medial and lateral maybe inside, outside edges of the knees. Typically, those hurt because of repetitive stresses at the hips that are off center. And when you maintain center and teach those hips to move into a better, powerful alignment, typically, the symptoms down the line alleviate.
0: So let's, and we're gonna talk about kind of what people need to do to alleviate this, some of the basic movements. But let's, before we move on to that, so, Plantar fasciitis, the feet, one example of, call it these distant injuries and ailments as a result of the compression. How about some of the other? I think there were even some more surprising things, I think, because people think about their backs or the musculoskeletal. And you talk in the book about um, digestive issues. You talk about um, other chronic illnesses. You talk about also uh, heart issues, like other issues that are going on in the body as a result of this compression process and the lack of, of core um, strength. So where, to talk about that connection.
1: Okay, so that all has to do with a nerve structure and its innervation points, and that nerve is called the vagus nerve, which is cranial nerve 10, it starts and originates at the stem of your brain, right around where the skull rests upon the top of the neck, at the back, where the cerebellum exits as well. So, or not X's, but exists. So you have this vagus nerve. And first and foremost, I am not saying that foundation training or decompression is a cure-all, and I'm not saying that compression is a cause-all. This is not either of those. But there's pieces of truth in both sides of that. Compression does add to a lot of physical and mental and digestive symptoms. And decompression, the act of your muscles and creating more muscle contraction in a very healthy way does alleviate a lot of those symptoms. Uh, but and people, not all, or none.
0: Well, people don't realize this vagus We're, nerve exists. That it, it's kind of the master controller yeah. of. And they call it kind of the second brain, master controller of muscles and breathing and the digestive system and anxiety attacks and emotions and all these other things that they think are part of other pieces yeah. of the body.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to take. It'll, I don't know if it'll take two or three. Pieces, but I'm going to try to explain the vagus nerve process. To
0: I don't need it. Yeah.
1: Audience I'm going to try to do it in like a three, a two or three step process. And the first one I'm going to start with is the anatomy.
0: We don't need the, the face, full explanation. I just need, I need the highlights just so that they get the, the net okay. take I don't want, we don't need the full okay. biology, the biology lesson because I want to be sure they get to, we get to the highlights of what do they do about it. I'm trying to just have them okay. understand the, the multiple impacts of, you know, they think they're just sitting and then their hips are sore, their head is sore, they got a headache. But that, no, their whole body's wellness is being, being um, impacted by all that sitting and all that compression. So okay.
1: the anatomical highlight for this, which is very easy to understand, is there's three common compression points in the human body. Right where the skull meets the neck, right between the shoulder blades, and right at the base of the skull. Those three points have a, not the base of the skull, the base of the spine. Those three points are major nerve plexuses, and each of those nerve plexuses innervate muscles that the vagus nerve passes through. The vagus nerve, upon feeling compression, upon, upon kind of creating a muscle tension at the psoas muscle in particular, where the vagus nerve actually pierces the psoas muscle, as on its way to the digestive organs, as that psoas muscle contracts around the nerve, it creates an excitatory nerve response. When nerves get squeezed, they, they go faster. Communication increases in speed, which creates a lot of weird and kind of mixed messages in its translation. So this nerve is going from our belly, from our gut, from our digestive tissue, up, 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 all the way through the spine to the top of the brain. And with that upward message comes a lot of information from our digestive tract, from our second brain, as it's known, from the ecosystem that a lot of really important stuff comes from, all of the absorption of our food, potential pathogens, all sorts of things. As our weight, as the simple weight of our torso compresses upon that digestive tissue, compresses upon the vagus nerve, compresses upon the muscles that surround and and sometimes are pierced by the vagus nerve, that environment creates a sympathetic nerve response, an anxious, aggressive nerve response. With that nerve response comes panic, fight or flight, increased cortisol, increased stress hormones. With that is what comes the additional symptoms and problems of physical stress, of compression, sort of mediating the chemical and digestive process in many more ways than people realize. Yeah, and that's... when we're compressed, we really do compress digestive tissue. We really do impact our overall metabolism and our overall mental well-being.
0: Yeah, and I just I can't underline what you just said enough because, again, I think people don't realize the, the interconnectivity of, of our physical, our emotional. You know, while they're running for their Xanax, what they really should be doing is breathing. So let's talk about... Oh, my about- God,
1: the idea... Sarah, the idea that the pharmaceutical industry has, I mean, and I'm not against pharmaceuticals. I'm not against surgery. I'm not against anything that people really need. But my goodness, they don't need so much of these things. And they are not for everyday use. If you have anxiety disorder, you can fix it with nutrition, with mental health, with heavy breathing, with heavy exercise, with better social surroundings, with better everything. It's so within your reach. And Vanex is just going to dissociate you over time. It's going to desensitize you to the things you need to do.
0: With, without a doubt, we'll have you and I could go for hours and hours on that one. I always say drugs and surgery last resort, but there are so many things. I before. get very
1: passionate about that side of things. I, I
0: could hear really you. Happening. You just jumped out of your chair. You're a whole new man.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get. I get. I, so I'm literally writing a new book on uh, how people can very aggressively. The opioid, the opioid addiction pattern and the pain relief addiction pattern. It's so unhuman what, yes. what is happening
0: with Well, right When you have that book, I am ready to talk. All right, let's talk about it's foundation coming, training. It's coming
1: out, yeah. And the end of next year, we got plenty of time. It'll be it'll be in stores in like late 2020. OK,
0: put us on your list. All right. So let's now help people now that we gave them. Hopefully, Thank you. In, now that we hopefully inspired them and hopefully scared them a little bit, like help them really realize the impact that their <laughs> I lifestyle. Don't
1: wanna, I don't want to scare them too much. No. I just want them to know that, you know, from I'm 38 years old right now and literally every day from 28 to 38 from when I graduated school to now. I've been studying my own body and, and have had the opportunity to work with just countless interesting patients with major chronic pains and chronic illnesses. And I've had a very high success rate that I'm really proud of. And it comes from the most natural means you can imagine, just with repetition and frequency and, you know, really working hard.
0: Well, and I'm going to name drop for a second and because you've worked with some really big, big shots in Hollywood and in the sports world. You've worked with Chris Hemsworth. You've worked with Lance Armstrong. Those are two massive bodies who push their bodies in all sorts of ways and they, they, you've helped them and they've been, you know, very powerful supporters of foundation training. So I don't want to delve into their stories, but I think it's, you know, that's called your celebrity endorsements, um, for that. This stuff actually well, I mean, I'm works.
1: Not, if you're going to do it, I'll add to it a little bit because I've had, you know, Lance, I haven't worked with in years and I really appreciate that, that guy's in early adoption of our work. Um, but there's people like Hemsworth is somebody I've worked with a number of times more recently, but for instance, this summer, um, I've been working on and off. I really love this guy. And I think he's actually a much more appropriate person for this conversation. Uh, so Jeff Bridges, the actor, the dude, big Lebowski. I've been working on and off with Jeff for, for a good handful of years now. And this summer we're doing a pretty cool intensive where I'm working with him very frequently, four or five days a week for, uh, it's been a little over two months now, and we have about two months left of the intensive before he starts filming up A much he, more aggressive and, and athletically involved role at 69 years old.
0: So are you working um, with him so he prepares for a role or because he's got some pain? It, from...
1: Well, he works with me because in order to be prepared for the role, he has to manage his, his chronic ongoing, you know, four, 35, 40 years chronic back pain. And yep. he's got... Some very you know he's, he's not debilitated but man does it hurt sometimes
0: hey every day i get and up i gotta I shake love, it out
1: and and he's a guy like me like a like a good handful of other people that just really enjoys the way his mind works and refuses to take prescription drugs that might alter it and make him feel differently inside if that makes sense yeah, you know he likes me. to feel a certain way and the desensitivity of pain relieving drugs can be pretty heavy so we work really hard on nutrition. We work really hard on mental health. We work. I, I'm always sending him, and he's always sending me different experts in the field, all the way from mental health to nutrition to physical movement. You know, it takes a real village. It takes a real group of people to understand how the body works. Luckily, you know, I really feel very fortunate for this. Foundation training has been a central theme in his rehabilitation and, and physical health for six, seven, eight years now, and the increasing amount of it has gotten him quite a bit healthier. It's really, I'm looking forward to people seeing him at the end of this summer actually, because all we've done is pain management. All we've done is improved upon his nutrition in a very anti-inflammatory way. We don't work out hard. We sweat in the sauna to detox as well as we can, to utilize our system's natural purging ability. We hydrate excessively. I say we because he, does what I do, and I have most of my patients do this. Eventually, this is where they all end up. Sauna most of the days, you know, very hot sauna, not infrared. Purge your kidneys, purge your cellular your intracellular fluids. From there, big decompression breaths throughout the day. Constantly remind your body where it's meant to be held. That's a very metabolically active process. It's a very intensive process. But What it does is a minute out of an hour. That's kind of what it is. Like one or two minutes out of every hour or so, you're focusing on your breathing. It's amazing how much pain release that can bring a lot of people. It's amazing how much notoriety that has brought foundation training because of what it has done to so many people. And I think the only reason that I get to work with some of these people like Jeff and Chris and, and Lance and guys like that is proof in the pudding. The work works. If you take care, of your frame, the way it's meant to be taken care of. You're going to feel a lot better and you're going to notice and you're going to keep doing it.
0: All right, so let's keep talk let, wanting to do it. let's get to some of those nuts and bolts about foundation training cuz you know, among the things that are so cool about it, there's no equipment that's necessary. You can do it, you know, anywhere anytime, yes. and it is something actually that you and I were talking before that it's really not an exercise regime so much as it is a lifestyle thing, right? That it really is a whole new way of holding your body. Um,
1: so, it's how you brush your teeth. It's how you talk on the phone. It's, it's when you get good at it. It's how you drive your car. But it's not because you're thinking of it. You don't want. I, I never want to instruct people on what to do while they're driving. I just want your body. When you get good at this big decompression work, to naturally hold itself differently as you drive, which does happen.
0: Right, and it's clearly also something that's that's appropriate for all ages. It's good for Jeff Bridges at 69, and it's good for young athletes that need to learn you know, I, to hold their body properly.
1: I have an athlete. I have a great example of that. I've been working with a professional surfer named Lakey Peterson, who is now 25, and we've been working, or she's 24. We've been working together since she was 14 or 15. 14 or 15, I can't remember when we started. But the first thing we did was basic foundation training. You know, that's it. At 14, 15 years old, she had really bad back problems from surfing and from, you know, whatever, whatever the issues were at the time. Yeah. It really does span, it's like from puberty onwards. Is, is what I would say to people. That's when you really seem to want to start paying attention. If you want to get ahead of chronic ailments, if you want to get ahead of chronic breakdown of, of the joints, you want to start paying attention to a few subtle things as you get into those teenage years.
0: All right, so let's ta- let's start with, so there's two basic types of movements in foundation training. There's decompression movements and anchoring movements. So let's talk, let's decompression movements, let's talk about that, the unwinding and elongating of the body. Um, give me just kind of the, the brief overview of decompression and I guess decompression breathing at the core of that.
1: Okay. So the first thing to take away is that your lungs are housed in your rib cage, which is the upper half of your torso. And that rib cage has a very, very big back edge. The back of your rib cage is more important at this stage than the front of your rib cage. You also have some really impressive muscles right across your sternum, right between your chest, a couple inches below your shoulders. And if you breathe into those muscles right at that sternum, you can really feel a lift of the whole front of the ribcage. What decompression breathing does is it finds all of the muscles that have the ability to expand the ribcage outward away from center, which is like an umbrella opening away from its stem. When you get strong at inhaling with those muscles, feeling the ribcage open in all directions, 360 degrees, stimulating a diaphragm contraction, when you get strong at that inhalation, you start to train those muscles on the exhalation by not letting them return back to their shortened or lengthened position. They're instead holding an isometric expansion while you exhale all of the air in your lungs by contracting your belly like a long tight cylinder so your rib cage is expanding and it's not easy everybody i want you to get that this ain't it ain't easy but it's very worth it so take the time to feel all those muscles that surround the rib cage pull the rib cage open
0: and just to reiterate you start to go ahead i was just going to say that you know again for people to because i think people don't realize how they've been breathing and we've do we've written a lot of stories in Bottom Line about breathing, and there's yoga breathing, and there's deep belly breathing, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but we we've all this is
1: biomechanical breathing. Yes.
0: So, but my point is that people don't realize how shallow their breathing is. You know, if they went to the emergency room right now, they'd stick a thing on their finger, and it would probably say ninety-five percent oxygenated. And they go, like, oh, "That's pretty yeah, good." You're probably right. Right. Yeah. So, what's the problem?
1: You're probably right. <laughs> so. One of the first things that people tell me. Or tell my, you know, we have about 1,100 instructors around the world now that are foundation training uh, instructors. And one of the first things I hear from those instructors when they start teaching people is the improvements in mental health that their patients and clients tend to tell them once they really get deep into the decompression breathing. And they start taking much fuller breaths and they get a little bit of the carbon monoxide out of the lower portions of the lungs if there happens to be any residual kind of non-compliant, low-edge alveoli, the little sacs that you breathe in and out of in the lungs. If you're not hitting those low parts of the lung, it's really hard to get some of that stale air out. There's, there's, you know, there's not a little, there's no autonomy in there. You have to control. I know that breathing is involuntary, but breathing well is very voluntary.
0: Right. And again, I mean, obviously, while you were describing it, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to, you know, be upright and fill fill my my lungs from all all corners and all circles and that part was i'll call it pretty easy conscious but i could do that but the holding it out and then while i breathe out and holding all those muscles out there that one's tough
1: it's so difficult and and i want people to understand that they are not alone in the challenge of this olympians professional athletes gifted gifted bicycle riders that told people they took drugs eventually it was hard for them too. all of Everybody that has ever tried this, no matter their physical capacity, it's a difficult thing to do because you're improving upon and breaking through old, compressed, muscular patterns. In order to do that, you gotta push pretty hard in expansion. So are there- I don't want that to scare anybody. I want you to get excited about that. It's not so hard you can't do it. It's just a legitimate challenge that you'll improve upon each time you try it.
0: And also, I mean, while I'm breathing, you can't just be slouched in your chair while you're doing it. You also have to, do you have to adjust your posture
1: for this breathing? Yeah, I really, I hope that everybody that's listening to this, at the very least, will go learn some of my free YouTube videos on foundation training. And at the, you know, what I really hope you'll do is is go check out my streaming website where we have programs that will walk you through this educational process one day at a time for over 100 days. And each day is like five to 15 minutes. But you learn about your body, about breathing, about posture, about how your spine works, about how to strengthen this and that. It's a very good program to follow, especially our baseline eight-week program right and again that's actually being tested by la county fire department right now Um, we have two full battalions and we're steadily working towards 22 full battalions 4400 firefighters that are going through that eight-week program and we're getting really interesting data on ranges of motion mental health pain relief all that stuff
0: that's great and we'll we'll include the link on the podcast page when we post this podcast we'll have the link there so that everybody can go and practice it yeah it's
1: really it's stream.foundationtraining.com.
0: okay we'll get all that and because it is it's it's difficult to describe the exercises which is why i wanted to more talk conceptually for people to understand what they're doing wrong with their bodies and then what they they need to kind of adjust um so let's talk about anchoring movement so that we've got so we've got the breathing that kind of opens them up and and frees everything up. So talk about a little bit the anchoring movements and what that concept is.
1: So anchoring is the idea, again, I, I touched on it early, with the idea that the arches are pulled up towards the pubic synthesis, the center of the pelvis, the bottom center of the pelvis. Basically, your spine ends at your sacrum. Your skull to your sacrum, including your ribcage, are the axial skeleton, and they are very powerful and movable, but they need a guide. They don't want to have a platform that's unstable on which it moves. So if that spine is moving too much from an unstable platform, you start to see things like scoliotic changes. So Somebody with scoliosis has a pelvis that's unstable, found a fixed position at an angle, and then the spine adapted curvatures around it. So anchoring pulls the center of the pelvis, towards center, the pelvis then spirals the legs inwards. If you remember, I kind of described the thighs as scrolls, and when we sit, they move outward. Well, when we anchor properly, they move inward towards each other, like they're wrapping inwards, and that lengthens the backside of the butt muscles, allowing those glute muscles, the butt muscles, to find a healthier length. At the same time, it allows the groin muscles, the very important adductor muscles, to find their healthiest, most effective length. And what you get out of it is a stable, aligned pelvic platform for the spine to then pull up and away from with proper alignment, proper symmetry.
0: So so we're talking about alignment. We're talking about, I'll call it rotating, internal rotation of the legs. You also talk about the hip, um, hinging at the hips versus rounding the back.
1: So the reason we work on anchoring so hard is that we, in order to hinge the hips properly, which is the most fundamental movement of, a, of the, the human structure, is, is hip hinging. There's really two fundamental movements. There's the ribcage moving well and the hips moving well. If that's happening, your body's probably pretty strong. It's probably working pretty well. In order to get the hips to move well, it's not just front to back. It's not just flex and extend. It's not, that's not that simple. There is a small, itty-bitty, but important, internal rotation of the hip joints as the hips move backward in a hip hinge. And that little bit of internal rotation protects the spine at the lowest levels, allows the spine to participate in a healthy lower body movement. A hip hinge is a lower body movement. It guides a stable spine, but the movement occurs at the hip joints exclusively. What ends up happening in a lot of people is their butt muscles stay short. Right now, 85% of your audience or more is squeezing their butt muscles, and 85% of them don't even know it. But right now, they just stopped. So if your (laughs) knees are moving away from each other, it feels like they're pulling away from each other, you're squeezing your butt muscles. If your knees are moving towards each other just a little bit, in that spiraling center, in that spiraling way inwards, you're probably relaxing your butt muscles and now we're into that conceptual stuff that gets a little difficult
0: right, well I, tra- I was trying to think but, about it like if you're squeezing like imagine you have a ball or paper towels or something between your legs to try and like squeezing those together
1: yeah and as you're trying to squeeze those together think of the knee joints trying to look at each other like they're going cross-eyed um, you'll notice in every foundation when you learn foundation training you'll notice in every position we put you in that there's a bit of internal rotation at the hip joint Train that
0: and these things but anchoring
1: are- is basically the the idea of anchoring is we're taking your hips out of external rotation teaching them to go a little further towards internal rotation so that the balance point the baseline if you will the bottom line is that, that when you're not paying attention to it you don't fall so far out of alignment
0: so are these, again, tr- we've, we're going to put the links up so that people can see the videos. They'll, they'll know where to go. They'll be able to you know, participate in your series you know, if they choose to do that. Um, but are there things that I'll call it on a day-to-day basis, just you know, points that they should remember or think about, um, looking up versus we didn't really get to talk about um, Nefertiti neck where people you know, were jutting our necks out. So are there things they should think about on a day-to-day basis that just has them in better alignment, That has them, you know, opening up their breathing, squeezing their legs while they're driving, whatever. Like, are there certain just three or four things that they should just keep in mind that would help them directionally?
1: There are. I'll do my best. Uh, My best possible advice is go and really take take the time to learn foundation training. And that will make these corrections for you better than anything I can tell you in the next minute or two.
0: You're kidding! But a whole lifetime a of work can't be answered in one minute. <laughs> During a, a podcast. With that being said, Goodness gracious, doctor. With
1: that being said, everybody going to everybody as they're walking around today. I, I hope this works. I hope you can uh, you can conceptualize this. But as you as the weight of your head falls forward, as the shoulders kind of slump forward, and you are kind of in that passive posture, like you're looking at your phone, and then you just look up to look at look at what's ahead of you. It's like. I tell people don't smell your way forward don't smell your way through life like don't lead with your nose lift the back of your head up a lot higher especially the back of your head lengthen the back of your neck as much as you can today if you think about lengthening the back of your neck as much as you can today you're going to walk a little differently you're going to stand a little taller than normal even when you're looking at your phone whatever it is you're doing just lengthen the back of your neck while looking up don't look down to do it Keep looking at the horizon line and just lengthen, lift at the back of the skull. That in and of itself is a really big help for alignment. If you're walking, notice if you're walking, like you're dragging the inside of the arches forward, like your feet are actually pointing out, you know, at an angle away from each other. And your feet should be pointing directly in the direction you're walking, and they lead your knees in the right way, and they lead your hips in the right way. So. That's all I'm gonna give you, those those two tips. While you're standing and walking today, make sure that your feet are facing forward and really forward, not away from each other at all, forward down the line. And make sure that the back of your head is lifting off your neck so that you're lengthening the back of your neck. If you do those things and really work at them, you'll you'll probably feel a little better today.
0: I love those two tips. All right, let me ask you one other quick area. Let's go back to the feet for a second. because you talked about big padded shoes before what's your preferred footwear you know there's these new arch support things and you know should people be wearing big padded sneakers or are you a barefoot kind of guy
1: yeah i'll give you i'm going to give you my hierarchy of of footwear starting with the worst the worst footwear is padded footwear with a high heel so if you're like an inch or two in you know a couple inches off the ground and you're in really padded cushioned footwear, just, just stop. Just stop.
0: What's a padded what's padded footwear with a high heel? My my padded insoles you know, in but, my stylish fancy boots that make me look really hot?
1: Yeah. Those stylish fancy boots that make you look really hot, wear them like a dessert. Think of them like something you do on occasion, but you gotta you gotta be healthier in your typical patterns. Um this is, uh, it's, it's weird to talk about in such a, such, a, such a way. It really hurts people in ways they don't realize if they don't make the corrections. You're not hurting yourself by wearing those shoes. You're hurting yourself if you mostly wear those shoes.
0: And is that because so it's, it's, it's not supporting that inherent structure of the foot, so to give me the solid base?
1: It doesn't let the foot do the foot's job, which is guiding a lot of alignment and a lot of muscle connection throughout the body. And it does, it's not that you got to go barefoot all the time, although my recommendation to people is learn how to walk barefoot really well. And that means as much surface area on the bottom of your foot as possible. Spread your feet apart. Spread the toes apart. Spread the bones of the feet apart as you walk. So it's not that – it's such an interesting concept to try to explain so much in, in, a, in a podcast. Just make your feet work to the best of their ability. If you are barefoot, stay barefoot. If you can't go barefoot, I really want you to go as quickly as you can away from extra padded shoes. You'll be able to go barefoot within a few weeks if you start practicing going barefoot, even for five to 10 minutes at a time. Look at work like a woman named Katie Bowman. Katie Bowman has something named Nutritious Movement and it's a brilliant, brilliant work of kinesiology. She understands things very well. She offers books, Uh, she has a book called um, I don't want to get this wrong. I might just look up Katie Bowman barefoot. Book. Okay. Uh, I don't want to. I don't we'll, want to say the wrong. We'll
0: check it out and name the wrong
1: thing. But Katie Bowman's work is excellent it's for people that are trying to regain their ability to walk well and get out of chronic foot pain. Katie Bowman's work works very well, especially in addition to to my foundation training work. Those two together will get somebody really, really far in their chronic pain fight.
0: How about so you're talking about don't wear padded shoes. What about, you know, padded running shoes? It's like, you
1: know, they have a lot of arch support and all of that. Your foot has to work. Nike Nike is an interesting company. I actually read um, Phil Knight's book all about the creation of Nike, and they are also credited with likely having a much sharper increase in foot problems, knee bumps, hip bumps, and back problems the padded shoe revolution might have been pretty detrimental to the human structure overall.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I know
1: it's frustrating. (laughs) I I can't help. I can't help that. A whole new topic. Uh, We're going to do a
0: foot conversation another day.
1: Well, if you can't feel the forces going through your feet, chances are you can't feel them anywhere else.
0: Even for older people where the bottoms of their feet, like their pads get more sensitive. So they end up with some neurological issues.
1: I, I don't mind orthotics so much as I mind what's surrounding the orthotic. Right. Um, if it's a crappy shoe that's overly padded, the orthotic's not really going to do much. It's going to be able to flex too much. If you're wearing orthotics, you should probably be in a very flat shoe.
0: Well, Dr. Eric Goodman, you're fabulous. Hopefully, we have helped a whole bunch of people be inspired to sit up, breathe right, come to your website and learn more about Foundation Training. So your website is foundationtraining.com. Your book, True to Form, is available at Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. And if anybody loved this podcast, please come and rate us, review us, because that's how we get the word out about Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. So thanks
1: so much. Thank you so much for having me, that was fun.
0: I'm talking to Dr. Eric Goodman about the effects of our compressed lifestyle on our bodies and our spirits. Sitting at our desks, curled over screens, is not only creating pain in all areas of our bodies, it's also affecting our mood, our digestion, and more. Eric's foundation training program has helped members of the military, professional athletes, and movie stars to be and feel their best. This is just one example of the many ways that our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, helps people do better and feel better. Eric is one of thousands of top experts who have appeared in Bottom Line Personal, and not just about healthcare, but in all aspects of your life, including financial planning, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottomline Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineink.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineink.com forward slash expert podcast.